Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Uh, well, uh, hi, uh, my name is Fitz. I'm the family ministry pastor here. It's good that you are here in the room with us. It's good uh, to have you uh, who are joining us online be with us today. Now, as many of you know, uh, I am a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. So, oh, thank you. Thank you. The rest of you. Um, sorry. Not in my script. Anyway, um, but if you're not a Browns fan, just take your shots. It's fine. I've heard them all. Um, but being a Cleveland Browns fan my entire life has done one of two things. It's either taken years off of my life or made me really strong. One of the two. Because by and large, for the last several decades, it's been a life full of frustration. Um, if you're a sports fan, you, you can probably relate. Um, if, you, if you've got your app I invite you to open up the worship tab and jump in the chat and, and just chat with me. Uh, chat your, um, uh, the team you root for and your level of frustration with them on a scale from zero to ten. And if you're joining us at Gingsburg.church, uh, go ahead and put that in the chat. Uh, but it's been a life of frustration, um, I, and that frustration has caused me to uh, yell, uh, to cry. Uh, to laugh sometimes at the ridiculousness of it, <laughs> and sometimes to throw things. Um, but, but every time I've thrown anything, I've, I've confined it to the confines of my house, sometimes my yard. Now, not all Cleveland Browns fans can say the same thing. Uh, on December uh, 16, 2001, one of the most infamous football games of all time happened in Cleveland. Uh, the Browns were taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was a pivotal game. There were, there were playoff implications on the line. Uh, now, the Browns uh, had not played particularly well that day. Like, big surprise. But um, the quarterback, Tim Couch, at the end of the game, drove the Browns down the field and got them to within scoring territory with about a minute to go in the game. And they had a fourth down play. And they completed a pass across the middle to a wide receiver. And for the first down, they sprinted to the line, snapped the ball, and spiked the ball to stop the clock. And then the refs stepped in. Because uh, the refs came in and they announced that they were going to review the fourth down play, which was the play before the play that just happened. Which if you know anything about NFL rules... You can't do. Like, it's, a, it's against the rules of the game, so the referees were basically violating their own rules that they have sworn to uphold. And so they reviewed the play. They determined that it was incomplete, giving the ball to the Jaguars, and basically, for all intents and purposes, ending the game. And that's when all heck broke loose. The cry of the crowd at full volume. Back then, you could buy beer and, and other beverages in plastic bottles like this. Uh, just to be very abundantly clear, this, this is not beer. Um, I'm not going to buy my first beer ever in my life when I'm preaching. Anyway, um, 
But this event happened on the dog pound end of the stadium, which is the, let's just say, rowdy end of the stadium. And much beer had been consumed that day. But at this stage of the game, nobody was interested in drinking the beer anymore. Instead, they started taking the bottles, some of them empty, many of them partially full, a lot of them completely full, and started launching them onto the field, often in the direction of the referees. Now, you might think that's not a big deal, but if I were to throw this at someone in the back row and it were to hit you, you would feel it. (laughs) Now, imagine that it's coming from a large height, a large distance, like in a football stadium. Now imagine that there are thousands of them. The the field was just getting showered with these projectiles from the game, and the referees, in fear for their life and their well-being, called the game early, which you can't do, and ran from the field, shielding their heads from the bottles that were falling from the sky. And that game is now affectionately known as Bottlegate. What it's called, look it up on the YouTube because it's hysterical. It's ridiculous. And this is an example of what can be called a mob mentality or a herd mentality. It's when individuals do things that they wouldn't normally do because of the influence of a larger group of people to, to gain acceptance, to feel, to feel part of the crowd. And this can take all sorts of forms from a group of kids bullying another kid in school, to excessive partying in in college, to to political protests or a staunch, unwavering support of a political candidate on either side of the aisle, to, in its most extreme sense, what we saw happen in Nazi Germany. And, And most of us right now, hearing this description, are probably feeling pretty grateful that we are strong enough and that we are principled enough to not give in to such of a mob mentality. If given the choice between going along with the crowd and standing up for my principles and my beliefs and my morals, I would 100% of the time stand up for my principles. But would we? And if not, why not? As we look at the life of Jesus, let's face it, he was, a, he was a pretty big deal, okay? He had a sizable following, he was extremely popular on many fronts, and yet he found himself on the wrong end of the mob mentality, even though his primary message was love. And so how did Jesus deal with all that came at him? Well, I believe that Jesus had a deeply held conviction of who he was and whose he was. And it was that inner confidence that gave him the strength that sustained him during his life on earth. And it's what he offers to us today. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, to turn over or swipe over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23, we've been walking through Luke uh, during this series. And we find here a surprising turn of events in the life of Jesus on earth. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting people to rebellion. 
I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. Now, as Pastor Rachel mentioned last week, uh, Pilate was the Roman governor whom the religious leaders brought Jesus to because their own religious law would not allow him to be put to death. However, Roman law allowed for such a thing. So this was essentially a loophole that the religious leaders were exposing in order to get to Jesus. They wanted Jesus gone, and this was the best way that they could do it. But they ran into a bit of a snag. Pilate examined him and realized he had done nothing deserving of death. And so he was going to just punish him and release him. So it appears at first reading that Jesus is actually going to wriggle off the hook here. Not so fast. Verse 18. But... The whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Now Barabbas was a man who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them, why? What crime has he committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. The cry of the crowd prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder the one they asked for, and surrender Jesus to their will. And we now know that ended in the crucifixion of Jesus. The big question that we have to ask ourselves is, how? How did things get so sideways that the whole crowd, we read, is now calling for Jesus' execution? Maybe a better question for us to wrestle with today is, where do we find ourselves in this story? And so with that, I'd ask you the question, what would you do? What would you do in this scenario? As I suggested, most of us assume we would never get caught up in this. If I, if I had followed Jesus for part or all of his three years of public ministry, if I had seen how, he, seen how he had loved people and healed people and the way that he preached, how he lifted up the downtrodden, I would totally be celebrating him. I wouldn't, get caught, I wouldn't have gotten caught up in with the crowd. Man, I hear you. I hear your heart. But I also wonder... I mean, I would say the same thing. But I also know that none of us know how we're going to act or react in a particular situation until we are in that situation. The, the people who are calling for Jesus' death, if you had asked them earlier if they would be capable of that, they would have said the same thing that we're saying to ourselves today. That, no way, there's no way 
I would react in that way. I'd be following Jesus. I'd be supporting Jesus. And yet, in fact, five days earlier, on a day that we now call Palm Sunday, the day that we celebrate today, we read about the crowd as Jesus entered Jerusalem. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This was five days earlier. The crowd was shouting his, praising, shouting his praises, hailing him as the king who they've been waiting for. And they were pumped. They were excited about what Jesus was going to do, about the kingdom he was going to set up. And because of that, they were all in. Five days later, these same people were likely in a crowd shouting, crucify him. Five days. What a turn of events. What a change of heart. Now, now you and I, again, we like to think that we are incapable of such groupthink, of falling in with the cry of the crowd in this way. But psychologists would suggest otherwise. Pete Ross, who's a writer on psychology and The Observer, writes that psychological studies have shown that 75% of people will ultimately go along and participate in evil acts is a chilling reminder of how easy it is to be persuaded by the group. What he's saying is that about 25% of people, just 25% of people, have the internal fortitude and the psychological strength to resist going against the crowd when the mob mentality presents itself. What that means, if we had been in the crowd that day or in that group of kids bullying that other kid or in that riot we saw on the news that was looting or Nazi Germany, three out of every four of us would have gone along with it. Only one of us would have said, no! What a sobering thought that is. Why is that? Why is the, lure, why is the allure of the mob so strong? What could, what could make me, an educated, principled person with morals, uh, act in such a way as to violate those principles? Social psychologists list several reasons, among those being a loss of self-awareness and identity. We lose a sense of who we are and what we stand for. Heightened emotions and a sense of anonymity and a loss of responsibility. No one knows who I am, and therefore, I can't be held responsible for my actions. And when we lose a sense of who we are, of whose we are, of what we stand for, and we don't think we could be held responsible for it, and the emotions get heightened, the heat rises, there's almost nothing that's beyond the scope of possibility for us. Let's put it in terms that we can understand. Let's say there's a massive uprising uh, just south of us in, in uh, Vandalia uh, that winds up at uh, Jim's Donut Shop. And everybody's in there, and the pressure's rising, and everybody's grabbing donuts, and ain't nobody paying for them. And if I was in that crowd that day, 
And I was pretty sure that nobody knew me. And I was pretty sure I couldn't be held responsible for my actions. And the heat was rising in the situation. There is a chance, only statistically speaking, mind you, that I would grab a butter twist. <laughs> I know, it makes me a bad pastor. It makes me a bad Christian. But that's the point, right? We all think we're better than that. The experts say that in a lot of situations, we're not. We're not. So I guess that's it then. Like if we're caught up in the mob mentality, Pastor Fitz says, we're out of luck. We can't get out of it anyway. He says we're just going to give in to the mob mentality. There's no chance of me doing something otherwise, of me, of me standing up against the crowd. That's not what I want you to hear. There's more to the message, okay? Just stay with me here. Because I believe there's hope. Because I believe there was a person named Jesus. And so I believe that there's hope. I believe that because of God's grace and mercy, you are capable for much, much more. And I believe that we're on a life journey that calls us to a place of knowing who we are and whose we are and living that truth out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there are practices and disciplines that we can, that we can place in our lives that will equip us to avoid being caught up in the crowd that shouts, crucify him, or he's not who you think he is. And I think it begins with a question. What will I do today? Not what would I do in that situation, but what will I do today? If we want to avoid the groupthink that we see around us so much, if we want to avoid the mob mentality that we see on the news and in this scene with Jesus, we can't just begin when we find ourselves in that situation. That's too late. We can't make the decision when we're in the middle of the crowd, when the, when the heat is rising and the emotions are rising and the voices are getting louder. You know when it starts? Today. It starts today, right now. When we wake up in the morning, we have to ask ourselves the question, what kind of person do I want to be? That's a, a, a message that I preach to my kids fairly regularly because I want them to have a long-range view of life. This thing that they may want to do, this group they may want to get caught up in might be taking them down a path that they don't want to travel. But that's, it's not only true for kids. It's true for every one of us. Every one of us, every day, is taking a step. And that step is is taking us closer to the person that we want to be or further away. It's taking us one step closer to the heart of Jesus or further away. Every day, every step we take. Now, now crowds aren't bad, mind you. Don't, don't hear that. Crowds aren't bad. You want to be a part of a crowd that roots for the Cincinnati Bengals, you know what, go for it, whatever, it's fine. You people shush. Anyway, <laughs> you had a good year. Congratulations. <laughs> we haven't had one in like 30. So anyway, it's fine. But be a part of a group based on who you've already decided to be. 
based on the person you want to be, not the other way around. Don't let the crowd decide for you who you're going to be. Decide first before you decide to be part of a crowd. In the book of Exodus, Moses is laying out various laws that God gave him to govern the lives of the Israelites. And in chapter 23, one of those laws reads, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. God's saying, I have chosen you. You're, you're my people. You're following after me. That is your primary identity, not what the crowd is doing. So be who you are and don't follow the crowd when they're doing wrong. And many years later, the Apostle Paul would pen these words in his letter to the Romans. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not just give in to the crowd, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Decide who you're going to be. Have your mind renewed. Don't just go along with the crowd. God is saying that there is a relationship between going along with the crowd and doing what is right, and oftentimes, those two things are in opposition to each other. So when given the choice, for heaven's sake and through the power of the Holy Spirit, do what is right, discover God's best in that situation, have your mind renewed so you can make the proper choice that's going to take you closer to the heart of Jesus. And so with that in mind, what decisions are you making every day? And what road is that taking you down? The end goal is to follow Jesus more closely in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. And the things we do, the disciplines we put in place, should be taking us closer and closer to that ideal. We're in this season that we call Lent. And many of you have made, many of us have made sacrifices um, during these 40 days of Lent. And the goal is not to make ourselves miserable. But I sense that's happened with some of you. I'm not going to mention any names. I'm just kidding. I don't know anybody. It's fine. It's good. The goal is not to show everyone how spiritual, spiritual you are because you gave up chocolate. That's not the goal. The goal was never to do that. The goal was to make space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to work, to renew our minds so we can be more and more shaped in the image of Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is the goal. But there's a hard part about this, and it can be summed up in one word, fear. Fear. It's a scary thing to be the one person who stands out amongst the crowd. We talked about Peter a couple weeks ago warming himself by the enemy's fire. He saw his leader, his friend, getting arrested, being led to the cross. You, don't, you think he was scared? He was scared. Fast forward a couple days later, where do we find the disciples when Jesus' body was in the grave? They're locked in a room, terrified. They were scared, and you might be scared too. It's a scary thing to be the one person who stands out among the crowd. What if the crowd turns on you? What if they abandon you? It's just, it's just easier and safer to go along with the crowd. Jesus never called us to easy. Jesus never called us to safe. Jesus called us to do the right thing. 
Jesus called us to do the most loving thing, and that's who we are. That is our identity. That's who we're called to be, and we need to lean into that. And when the cry of the crowd is loud, we need to hear another cry. We need to hear the cry of Jesus that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. His cry that we need to pay attention to is love. That's the cry we need to hear. Love lays a foundation for us so that our behaviors will naturally flow out of that. We can't just hope to be who we want to be when the pressure rises. We need to take steps of renewal. We need to take healthy steps to prepare ourselves for any situation. It's a lot easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like a Christian. So we need to prepare ourselves to be ready. James Lawson knew this. He was a Methodist minister who discovered the, the discipline of nonviolent protest. Uh, he learned that from Mahatma Gandhi. And he used what he learned to train leaders in the civil rights movement. And so they would role play lunch counter confrontations where students would sit on stools in a simulated lunch counter and face abuse from associates of Lawson insults and racial slurs, physical attacks. They would, they would hit them and drag them from the stools. They would empty out their cigarette ashes on their heads. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they subject themselves to that? So that they would, they would be trained to not give in to their natural impulses to fight back. So they would be trained to not do what seemed right in the heat of the moment. So they would be trained to not do what they would normally do if they knew they wouldn't get caught. This is how they renewed their minds. They trained themselves to be the person they wanted to be when the pressure did rise and when the cry of the crowd got loud. And in the same way, you and I, we have to train ourselves. We have to be ready when the cry of the crowd gets loud. We need to be renewing our minds and our hearts towards love. And with that in mind, here's just a couple more questions that I want you to consider. First question, what am I filling my mind with? Am I filling it with things that are gonna take me closer and closer to the heart of Jesus? Things like scripture and prayer, other spiritual disciplines, uh, encouraging music. Or am I filling it with, with things that could potentially be taking me in the opposite direction? 24-hour news cycle, social media, my own negative self-talk. What am I filling my mind with? What am I meditating on? What conversations am I having? Am I connecting with people who speak life and flourishing into my life? Or am I connecting with people who speak uh, stress and dissension and gossip? into my life? And then how am I taking care of myself? It's a simple thing, am I, am I eating well? Am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough exercise, enough sleep? Am I taking time to be quiet before God? There's a connection between how we take care of ourselves and our behaviors. And the, decision, the decisions we make every morning, the steps we take to be secure in who we are and whose we are, Train us for when the cry of the crowd gets loud. Our ultimate calling is not what the largest group of people are telling us what to do. Our ultimate calling is not what our political party is telling us to do. Our ultimate calling is not what my heightened emotions are telling me to do in the heat of the moment. We follow Jesus, 
not the mob. We follow one, not the crowd. That's who we follow. And when the mob goes one way and the love of Jesus goes another, we need to confidently move in the direction of love. So friends, Gingensburg, friends in the room, friends online, may we be people who follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, because here's the thing, you can't do it on your own. We have to submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. So may we be people who follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the cry of the crowd gets loud and deafening, may we hear the quiet whisper of the Holy Spirit that says, this is the way, walk in it. May we walk in the direction of love. God, we thank you this morning for you. Thank you for your place in our lives. Thank you that you give us direction in our lives. It's easy to follow other directions when cries are getting loud, when a mob's going one way, but help us to hear your Holy Spirit speak to us on a daily basis. Help us to do the hard work of renewing our minds, but we can't do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit, so fill us with your Holy Spirit. Renew our minds so when the heat rises, we can confidently move in the direction of Jesus, that we can confidently move in the direction of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.